And welcome, guys. Welcome back to the second episode of Ignite Your Faith podcast. I'm Jason, and the man across the table is Alex, and we are the Bearded Christians. Um, first of all, man, I want to recap on that first episode. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, seriously, go back. It was an amazing testimony by my dude over here, Alex. Uh, just laid it down, and, and really, we've got amazing feedback on it. Uh, Alex, you did a fantastic job. Thank you. I heard you Thank gave you. a sermon out of that, too. Yes, the next Sunday... Um, just that the Sunday, the day, uh, not not today, because we shoot at church on Sunday as well. But last Sunday, I preached, and some of the testimony was in my sermon as well. That's awesome. Did yeah. you find so? Did you find inspiration from this, or did it make you, or was it just something you had already planned on doing? Um, the same material. So when I was preparing for this, yeah, it was it, it it kept that same train of thought, just within the context of a Sunday morning sermon. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So guys, today we're going to dive a little bit more into my testimony, um, which I'm excited about. <laughs> I don't even know why. There's, I mean, there's some cool stuff as we get towards the end of it. But as a kid, like I was just kind of a chubby kid, but I played sports like crazy, man. I loved soccer. And baseball, those are my, still my two favorite sports. Um, I played soccer forever, yeah. um, probably like 11 years worth of soccer. And then I played a couple years of baseball and a few other things. But as a kid, even though I was chubby, boy, I was athletic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember, so my mom, my dad, we're going to jump right into my daddy yeah, issues. <laughs> um, but no, my real dad was a real piece of work. Um, he never really was much to do in my life. There was really not much of he just never really had anything to do with me. Mm-hmm. So um, about five years old, my mom actually ended up marrying a guy that was in the Air Force. And uh, she had to get the sign off from my biological father to be able to move me out of state because he got transferred over to California. Okay. So I moved. Was he in the military too? No, he was in the military. Okay. The guy that my mom married after. Oh, and so she had dad. to get signed off because right. you had to move to California. Right. Gotcha. So he gotcha. had to, gotcha. my real father had to sign off on us going to California. Gotcha. And uh, so we ended up moving to California and we moved to Sacramento, which I loved California, except for the crazy drivers. They were, even as a young kid, like I recognized when people were just being really dumb behind the wheel, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but still like California was amazing. There was, it's not so great now, unfortunately. But um, I think it, I think there's there's areas that are still I love California. I have family in in, in California, but yeah, I wouldn't go next to the to. Yeah. I honestly I loved it. I grew up in uh, part of my life. I grew up in North Highlands, and that's where I first started playing soccer. At. So where's that at? I don't. I don't where it's is the it's uh, North Highlands is a county mm-hmm. right there inside of Sacramento. Okay. Um, so I can't really I. It's been so long since I've been up there, but I don't know exactly. Like, could be like, yeah. oh, it's right here. Okay, you know, I well, just, it's it's toward, it's up north though. It's part of Sacramento, yeah. Yes, yes. So you I have Sacramento, which is kind of in the middle of the state, that's and it. then from there you go up north, and that's where you find San Francisco, Monterey, and so on. That's you It's it. a little bit chillier up there because uh-huh. you're right there on the ocean. Yeah, but Monterey is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I love being up there. Um, but anyways, so. My mom married this guy, and we moved to California, and my brothers were born. I uh, love my brothers to death. Shout out Jeffrey and James. Um, we California was really cool, but at the age that I was at, I was not really getting in so much as, as trouble with the law as I was constantly fighting kids oh, yeah. like other kids. Like I, was, I wasn't a bully, but I was one of those guys that's like, you don't like what I got to say? 
Yeah. Well, then fine. Let's let's do it. Let's go. What do you yeah, got? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, as I grew up, I, I kind of lost that mentality. But um, uh, then after that, we moved to Panama. Now that's where it was really cool, and that's where I really got myself into Panama, trouble. the country Panama. Oh, right yeah, on. Down like so, it's like right above Brazil. Yeah, right you get South America. Yeah, yeah, man, I had a blast down there. It was. Uh, oh man, I did so much. That's where I kissed my first girl. Um, that's where. I uh, really got myself in some legal trouble and threatened with deportation because, Seriously. yeah. So the guy that my mom married, um, one night we went, I, I had a couple friends and one of them wasn't the greatest person to be hanging around, but mm -hmm. you know, whatever. You don't think about that kind of thing when you're a kid. And uh, <laughs> we went and we decided we were going to have a sleepover, but we were camping outside and, and the uh, they had this like big thing of bamboo. Mm -hmm. And inside of it was a circle, so it was, like, cleared out perfectly for a tent. You could pitch a tent, no problem, and we were going to camp out. Well, there's a curfew on base, and I think for our age, it was, like, literally, like, 10 or 11 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And then for, like, the older teenagers, it was literally midnight. And uh, so we bedded down for the night, got our tent put up, went to sleep, went to sleep. And uh, we decided uh, we were going to get up and roam the base. Mm -hmm. Not really intelligent, because at that <laughs> at at those point in times, you have at night and throughout the uh, middle of the night, you would literally have numerous military police, um, canine units and everything on foot, driving mm -hmm. the whole nine yards. Obviously, it's a military base yeah. um, because Panama was, as the bases were coming to close, there's a lot of scrutiny going on. There's a lot of protesting and things. Uh, for them. They wanted the Americans out, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was really rough. Um, but anyways, we decided... We were going to get up and I just happened to bring this pocket knife that it's actually a switchblade mm -hmm. that my uh, stepdad had bought for me. And we decided, you know, we're just going to go out and walk around and be kids. We really didn't have anything planned at that point in time. Now you get down, you go down this huge hill and down there is what's called the shop at. It literally had everything. There was a pizzeria in there. There's literally um, a convenience store, so you could do grocery shopping. You know, mm -hmm. they had it's like a all-in-one Walgreens, everything all in one. Yeah. Um, next to that was the arcade, and then there was a barber shop next to that. And I remember um, on the back side of it was a set of stairs. Well, where the stairs came down, mm -hmm. there's a spot where the roof is right next to the stairs, so it was easy to get on top of the roof. We're like, oh, we're gonna get on top of the roof, whatever. So we went on top of the roof. Hung out for a little bit, and then kind of was getting bored. So I came back down, and I came up with this great idea to see what my knife could do to some of these tires on these cars <laughs> that were floating around. And, uh, yeah, so we kind of ran off. There was a car dealership not too far from us. Um, but just on the other side of that was um, – it was uh, – it was part of the DODD service. It was literally the dependent service that worked for the military, their contractors. Mm -hmm. And there was uh, a couple of cars on the parking lot. So I decided to go over there and uh, flipped open my blade. And it's like, guys, check this out. I went, <laughs> dude, I did another, <laughs> I did another tire. And then they started doing tires. By the time we got done, we had literally hit 14, 15 cars including oh. cars inside the dealership that were on the parking lot. Yeah. And we came back. And so there was the AFES is the delivery service. It was armed. I don't remember what it stands for, but it's a military uh, delivering service uh -huh. is what it was. They deliver the food goods and stuff like that. Yeah. 
and uh, one of their big trucks just happened to be sitting out there, and I was trying as hard as I could to flatten that tire. And my knife just, I couldn't, it's a big tire trying to get it through an 18 wheeler tire yeah, yeah. and it just would not go. Um, but, uh, so I finally gave up on it, but you could still hear from all the tires across the parking lot uh-huh. that we had decided that we were going to sink my knife into. And, uh, so we decided to go back up on the roof and hang out and walked over to the other side. And I remember peering down and looking back up at me was a military police officer with his canine unit. Uh-huh. And he was talking on his phone and he apparently he'd been watching us go back and forth from this truck to the building uh-huh. and trying to stab holes in it. But he didn't know what we were up to. All he knows is he was watching us go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's when he was like, just stay right there. I was like, guys, there's a cop over here. Uh-huh. <laughs> they were like, what? I'm like, there's a cop over here. And so, needless to say, they had more guys show up, more cops showed up, and they came up, had us come down off the roof, um, get down there, and they started asking us, you know, how old are you? Um, I told them, I think I was like 13 at the time, and that was my first brush with the military law, Mm -hmm. right? And he kept asking me, what are you guys doing up on the roof? And we're like, well, we're just hanging out. And he's like, really? He's like what were you doing on the roof? And I was like, uh-huh. man, we we're just hanging out. Yeah. And he's like, do I need to go wake the base commander? I'm like, dude, we we're just hanging out. And he's like, okay, let's go wake the base commander. Got up there. They started doing their little search around the, the top of the building. And I had taken my knife and slid it. So there's gravel up there and I slid it under the gravel so that the gravel would cover over it and you wouldn't be able to really see it. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately it had copper and bronze on it. So when they shine the light on it, it reflected back through mm-hmm. the gravel yeah. and uh, they're like, Oh, we found a knife. And I'm like, Oh no, dude. <laughs> so I remember they hauled us into the little police station and I sat there probably, it was probably one in the morning, maybe two o'clock. And my mom came down. And just tears in her eyes. And I'm, just, I'm like, man, I feel like a total, total butthead. Uh-huh. And, uh, but then it was bad because on the other side of it, um, my one buddy, Brian, wasn't necessarily trying to hang me out to drive. But the other guy was like, oh, he did all of them. He ran around slashing all the tires. I was like, no, they helped. They used my knife. Mm-hmm. But they were helping. But they were kind of leaving me out to drive. That's the same. You know, it, it's... Kids are like that. You know, yeah, they don't yeah, want to be yeah, in yeah. trouble, but it was, he did it. He did it. He yeah, did it. Yeah, yeah. So man, I ended up with, let's see, I ended up with a hundred hours community service off of that. Plus they had to make like a four or $500 donation to a charity fund. I really kind of got a slap on the wrist, you know? Yeah. Um, they had threatened deportation yeah. because you're in a, you know, you're in a, uh, you're out of country and yeah. you know, it's really, and, and you just the, caused all this damage and money. Well, and not just that, but like, um, so it was, they were sitting here like, uh, basically chewing my butt. And my parents are like, who are you going to live with back in the States? Your whole family's here. Yeah. And they're like, the only thing you can do is go move back in with your grandma. That's it. I was like, oh man, I didn't realize it was that bad. You know, yeah. uh, I thought I had just, you know, run around and did some, something stupid and wasn't really, you know, I didn't really think yeah, much about that, it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. as soon as they started telling me, dude, they're ready to kick you out of the country. Uh-huh. I'm like. Oh boy, this is more serious than I thought it was. Yeah. So I did my community service, but here's where the other problem comes in. <laughs> I was out doing my community service one day, and nothing's more embarrassing, by the way, 
than walking down the main drag of the base or the main road that you live around in a big bright orange vest with a stick picking up trash. I'm telling you, don't <laughs> don't break the law because if you get community service, your friends are going to see you. Don't do it. Um, anyways, so I was walking around picking up trash, and I would go kind of just wherever you know. I had to serve so many hours every Sunday, blah blah blah. And uh, I remember there was an empty house. So in these houses, they're all concrete built, mm-hmm. and below that is the maids' quarters, and. I never really thought about it, didn't really consider it part of the actual house, none of that. But I was being stupid, and I went first around the corner and was like, oh, man, if I was a robber, how would I get in here? I was just being a kid, you know, thinking yeah. like, you know, this is what a robber would do. And just uh-huh. being, you know, using my imagination and playing, yeah, yeah, playing yeah. around. And so I climbed up on a trash can and opened the window mm-hmm. and climbed up in the window, and the lady across the street saw me and called the cops. And said, there's some guy trying to break in this, into the maid's quarters and blah, blah, blah. So I ended up hopping down, closed the window, walked back around. The door was actually unlocked. And I walked straight in, you uh-huh. know. And I'm just hanging out really maybe two minutes. And the next thing I know, I come out around the corner and bam, there's another military police officer just sitting there. Yeah, yeah, corner. yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. So they called my parents. My parents were at the time part of a... Uh, motorcycle club and they had this big weekend planned to go out to this island that we used to go to it mm-hmm. was a really cool island we go out and we fish and spend the entire weekend usually it was like memorial day or labor day where it's a, a three-day weekend mm-hmm. and you'd be able to just kind of hang out and this island was really cool because it was kind of scary too you were out dead in the middle of the panama canal and as you bedded down for the night you had to be careful because Cayman, which are a type of alligator. Crocodiles. Yeah. Yeah. They would come up on the island. Oh, for real. Yeah. So we would take our flashlights, like a big mag light, and shine it out there, and you'd see their eyes all reflected yeah, out, yeah, out yeah. in the panel canal. Probably the coolest thing I've ever seen, but I didn't realize how dangerous it really was. Yeah, yeah. But we had a good time, none, nonetheless. So they had plans to go out to this island, and they called my parents, and that got, that got completely messed up. They had to come pick me up from the police station, and they're like, what were you doing? I was like... Nothing. I mean, they're like, well, they they saw you trying to climb through the window. I was like, no, that's a lie. I didn't do that. And <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting here like, oh, man, I, I completely messed this up. So I got grounded for like three months for that and added another, I think they added another 75 hours of community service on uh-huh. top of that 100 hours that I was already doing. Yeah. So needless to say, don't break the law. You end up with community service. You look yeah. stupid out there picking up trash and your friends are going, hee, <laughs> So that that's that's my first run in with the law. Um, after that, I really never never really got in trouble with the law. Okay. Um, more times than not, it was just more of getting in trouble at school because I was a class clown. Yeah. Um, now I do have a great great story there. Um, I was in eighth grade, still in Panama, and my um, uh, social studies teacher, she's like, "Oh, so what did everybody do this weekend?" And dude, I'm like. Oh, I raised my hand. Hey, yeah, I went to Egypt and I went inside the pyramids. She's like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) She's calling me on my bluff every chance that she gets. So I tell them my story and they're like, oh, well, that's a really cool story. And she goes on to the next class. A kid raises, no, several weeks later, we're doing our stuff on Egypt. And uh, it's uh, probably like a two week stint on, um, you know, the little things that you do for the Egypt studies in school. And this kid raises his hand, 
and asks teacher. He goes, hey, can you go inside the pyramids? And the teacher just looks at me and goes, I don't know. Let's ask Jason. Jason, can you go inside the pyramids? I'm like, no, she did not. Like, she's totally calling <laughs> me out right in front of all these kids. So that was that's, that's always been a funny story. Um, I still tell my wife. My wife laughs at me over that every time now. Um, but, yeah, that's um, that's about it. Like, for you real. know, knowing you, um, I would – this is – like that, like – and also knowing your kids as as well, I see it. Like I, 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 your stories, I see where where they where they get it from. I'll, that's cool. That's cool. I'm definitely so Panama was amazing. Um, I experienced a lot down there. Um, I never got in trouble, but we did used to sneak off base and we would go down to the beach. Uh, off base, the drinking age was really kind of uh, moot. It really didn't exist. Yeah. Um, because you're in a third world country, if you can walk up to the bar, you can get a beer. So we did used to sneak off the backside of the base and go down there, and it was literally like 25 cents for a, for a 12 ounce beer, 50 ounces or 50 cents for uh, one of their bigger uh, like 24 ounce beers. Mm-hmm. Now I still to this day do remember Sabrana was my favorite beer because it had this super sweet taste to it. Mm-hmm. And it was like the most amazing thing I'd ever tasted. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And it, Every other beer stuck. in the world. Yeah, it's still, I, I've often thought about ordering it because uh-huh. I want to see if it still tastes the way I remember it as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I never have. But man, that was, it was that beer that I was just like, man, I love that beer. That beer is amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was, I mean, like I said, I didn't really get into too much trouble. I do remember uh, we got away with one time. We broke into the base pool. Mm-hmm. Um, just climb because it was pretty easy. Like the actual fencing that they had was concrete fencing, yeah. and you could just climb over it like it was mm-hmm. steps, literally. And they called the cops, and we happened to get away because there was paths through the jungle and yeah, stuff that you yeah. knew how to get through, and that kind of thing. Everybody knows their surroundings when it's time to get get gone. Yeah. And so that's what we did. Panama was a good time. Um, I did have my first stints with the law there, um, but really it was. More as I came back and went through high school, man, like when I became, when I went my freshman year, it was really kind of sad. I didn't realize how bad I had allowed myself to go. And I'm a big guy now, Mm -hmm. but as a freshman starting high school, I was 300 pounds. Like that's, that's a big boy. Like, you know, (laughs) like you're talking like you about to be diabetic. You about to be, (laughs) you know, I was like, man. And, uh, I remember I hit the weights. So I, and unfortunately my freshman year, I only got like, I think you needed three and a half credits to move on to your sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And I only got like two and a half because I slept all the time. I was, yeah. you know, just a horrible student and, uh, ended up, uh, I had to go to summer school. I remember and got made that up, but then when I went to my sophomore year, my sophomore year, I didn't even pass a class. I just, I slept, I stayed up all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was where I started smoking weed and partying and drinking. I never really did like drinking and driving. Was this still in Panama? No, no, no. This is after I had moved back to Missouri. Okay. okay so okay. sorry guys. Yeah, I had done moved back to Missouri. I started my freshman year right over at Sekman High School. Oh, okay, okay. I don't know. <laughs> but uh no, so I had just started kind of peddling around with substances. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing crazy. I didn't uh, really do anything like Coke or anything like that. It was more just weed and alcohol. Um I did have a party house that I would go to. Um, it was my friend's, my friend's house and his mm-hmm. parents, they're like, you know what? If you're going to party, do it here. Yeah. We'll be out and about. So she'd take our keys mm-hmm. and we just do whatever we wanted, um, within re- confines, you know, yeah. respect. Uh, 
And uh, that was really it come my sophomore year. But unfortunately, my first sophomore year, and I say first for a reason, uh, because that first year I didn't pass a single class. I yeah. slept. I'd come to school hungover, that kind of thing. And, and uh, how, how old were you, were you at this time? So... Sophomore, you're probably just 15, getting ready. So I was, so I was a late bloomer because my birthday's in August. Okay. So I was getting closer to 17. All right. Probably um, when school had just started. So by then, I was probably 17. Okay. Um, as August hit, um, on my first year, um, because I remember we got back from Panama, and we had we went to Washington State and drove all the way back down to Missouri. And by the time we made it to Missouri, it was my 16th birthday, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, and that was here in Missouri. Gotcha. So, um, but so how did the stepdad take to all this? How oh did, man, how, I'm going to tell you what that dude wore. He, he wore some big old rings, and I'm going to tell you right now, nothing like tasting metal. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean to sound like a butthead, but man, I'm t- and I don't. I I get it because in the military, your image is everything, mm-hmm. especially if you're raising a family. And he was. So it, he was in charge of running uh, search and rescue when we were in Panama, all the way, I do believe, all the way from Alaska, all the way to the tip of Argentina. Oh, for real. And he was the major that yeah. ran all that. That was that was his job. Um, so I know his image was quite important. And here I was running around. Slashing getting tires. The base, yeah, getting the base commander woken up <laughs> at 1.30 in the morning. And, uh, well, what was it? Oh, I got in trouble for going on the general's property. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So then, when we come back to Missouri, how does how does he handle the drinking and smoking the sophomore? So year? that's where they actually they had stayed together. He went on a job search after we moved back, and we finally got a place to stay in Missouri. We had stayed with my grandma for a little bit, and then stayed with my other grandma for a little bit, and then we finally found a house to rent. And that's where I started going to Second High School, and. At that point, I think they were looking at getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is where it kind of gets a little bit sad because I I really don't – I don't know if I want to throw this out there, but I'm going to because, like I said, we talked about building this podcast. I wasn't going to hold anything back. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, during the divorce, it was kind of interesting. Um, You know, as they were married, we lived in Panama, we lived in California. Dude, I was everything to him. I was his Mm -hmm. son. Yeah, yeah. And then come – the divorce i was nothing yeah. like i just was you know whatever yeah. you know the, my brothers which they're they're biological children i get it um they you know they went over to he was living in germany i do believe you know they flew over to germany they were treated like family i mm-hmm. was treated like nothing there was no no saturday call for me it was to talk to them and that was yeah. it um the last time that i remember one of the uh, few interactions that i had had after the divorce, he showed up at the house, and I come out with no shirt on. And he goes, oh, you're getting a little fat there, aren't you? And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I am twice the size of you. I will hurt you. Like, <laughs> yeah. just, just go on about your business, buddy. Yeah. He's, you know, yay big. I'm like, dude, I'm not that little 12-year-old little boy anymore. I'm 16-year-old, and I will hurt yeah. you. And I never did, but um, that's how I felt inside. Yeah, absolutely. He... To so, so how, having my first father having nothing to do with me, and then having somebody pick you up and uh-huh. treat you like a son, and then and then just completely you. discard disregard you and toss you to the side, man, that, that totally destroyed me. Especially in 
a point in my life where I was a teenager and I really needed a male role model. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I really needed somebody to pick that up. So how old, how old, how old were you when he came into the picture? uh, Five. And then how old are you whenever he left it? I was he... about still 16-ish. Okay. It was before I went into my sophomore year. Sorry, guys. I got ahead of it a little bit. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it, that's, it was in that whole transition phase where you're becoming a teenager. You're growing into manhood. Okay. You really needed a man. So then around. after the divorce, what, how did your, how did, what was life like for you? For, for you? Like, so the great thing is after the divorce – the man that I call my dad now okay. came into the picture. Okay, guys. Gotcha. And that's that's the man. I love that man to death. He's always mm-hmm. been there for me. He has never dropped the ball. I mean, if I'm broke down on the side of the road, it's 2.30 in the morning. I'm 500 miles away. He's on his yeah. way. He's that kind okay. of dad. Um, how long did it take? So when he first came into the picture, how did you treat him? How was the relationship? Me and him got him? along just fine. We, okay. There was never really any animosity between us. Okay. Um, and I think that's because I was looking for somebody to be in my life. Yeah. And, you know, and I didn't. The great thing was he never approached me as being an authority figure or a father. He was just my friend. Yeah, I got you, got you, got you. And I feel like that's important because I think people have a tendency to put pressure on a relationship. Mm-hmm. At at those ages, like when I'm 16 and you yeah. know, he's an adult, I'm like, oh, guess what? I'm this and this. He never came at me that way. Yeah, he was yeah. just, hey, how are you? And it became close real yeah. quick. Yeah. And there's some, there's some. Sorry. Edit. Edit. Yeah. No, probably not. We'll we'll keep it in there. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> there's some. There's some. Um, there's some young men that I've that I've worked with, and that's that's what I do. I don't. Um, I'm just here to be like a big brother or like a friend, like a mentor. And, and they're like, they don't have fathers or they've come from some tough situations. And that's, that builds the relationship so much faster. Right. Because I'm, I'm not coming into it as the expert. I'm just coming in here just to spend some time as a, as a role model and just do some cool stuff with you. Right. Like that's it. Yeah. And then through that, you know, we end up talking and building relationships and they end up hopefully growing closer to God and, and go, getting through whatever they're going through at, at, the, at the time. With him, the reason that I asked the question is because sometimes when you had the first one, trust is broke. Second one, trust is right. broke. How quick did you trust this one? It, it wasn't long. Well, good. It good, really good, wasn't. Good. Um, like I said, he always approached me more as friend, and, and to this day, he tells me I'm his best friend. Mm. You know, so... Um, yeah, we have a very close relationship. Oh, cool. I love him to cool. death. He's, he's an amazing person and, uh, has, like I said, always been there for me. I can't really say anything negative about him. Um, but so that's where that went through. And then, like I said, I went, I didn't pass a single class that year, um, as a sophomore, um, had to do a second sophomore year. Um, so I was on the five year plan, not the four year plan. <laughs> um, but I ultimately did end up graduating and uh, um, my first job, I was working at Hardee's and then got tired. So I got fired from there, and I will not go into why I got fired from there. Um, but then I went to Walmart and started working there um, and then got really tired of doing Walmart. Mm-hmm. And so I moved on to uh, a company that my cousin was working for. He worked for this company doing what I pretty much do now, mm-hmm. which is metal, stone, and wood restoration. Um, I kind of got tired of that job. Um, there was also a little bit of politics in there, but you know, ultimately I wanted to find my own path, Yeah, you know, um, when people 
sometimes you feel less successful when people try to give you things or do things for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I felt like I needed to step out and go find my own path. So I went Mm -hmm. to work for the competitor and I worked with them for about three years. Um, Stuart Dean was literally who, I don't know if you're going to have to edit that one out. (laughs) Um, Anyways, uh, the company that I was working for is where I met my wife, Vanessa, you know, Vanessa. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was there that we got married and I adopted the three oldest children so um, the tw- our 20-year-old and Gracie and Samuel, Caleb's the oldest one. He's 20. And then we ended up having our two, uh, Timothy and Leona. Mm-hmm. And so Leona came after I'd gone to Mid-America Medals. Um, man, you're going to have to edit that one out too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went to work for them and then got tired of working nights. Um and moved on to Marble Life. I have permission to drop that name. Okay. So you don't have to edit that right. one. Uh, but anyways, um, but back when I was working the other two jobs, and it was mainly that three-year stint that I was working at the competitor, mm-hmm. um, that's where I started trying to find something to fill a void because I was working nights all the time. So my family would walk in the door from work, and I would walk out the door and mm-hmm. go to work. Yeah. So I would get home 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, not really have anything to do. Um, at this point, the Michael Brown shooting had happened. Do you remember that? Yeah. So this is where I started becoming a social justice warrior. This is where I was, I had actually gotten involved in planning, um, protests and things like that. Like I said, I was trying to fill a void. I was trying to become useful Mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form. Um, I met a bunch of people online. I won't drop names or groups or anything like that. Um, but this is what we did. We planned protests. Um, I helped plan another protest against, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I want to say their name, um, Child Protective Services. Mm-hmm. Um, because the research that I've always done is they, to me, they're human traffickers. I mm-hmm. don't, there's people within the system that I can trust or that maybe I should trust. But the system itself, I do not trust. Mm-hmm. To me, they're always out to literally go for the highest bid for each child. And that's disgusting to me. Um, Same thing with foster care. Foster care is not what it's all cracked up to be, but everybody's like, Oh, foster care. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. A lot of these kids are abused in foster Mm -hmm. homes. You hear it all the time on the news all the time. Um, But that became, I don't know why, but that became the most important focus to me was kids. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately led me to finding uh, other groups. These groups were specifically designed to hunt down pedophiles. Okay. So what they would do is create an online uh, profile that you know kind of hinted at being a young young age teenage girl is typically what you wanted to aim for. Mm-hmm. And man, I'm telling you what, it was so disgusting. Um, I finally so I got in touch with the group, and I won't drop their name either. And guy I took to, me and him were fantastic friends, you know, online friends. Dude was from England, mm-hmm. you know, so we never really got to meet. Uh, we had talked about it. He talked about coming across the pond and, you know, us yeah. meeting up. But he trained me fantastic. Like, he did a great job letting me understand, helping me understand all the exact rules that go into it, the legalities, um, what can cause your case to be thrown out if it ever goes to court, um, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like I said, me and him became super, super close. Um, but yeah, it's, so he taught me how to set up a decoy account and I don't know if you've ever heard of these. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people still do it today. 
And basically, you just want to carry on the persona of, you know, a 14-year-old girl. And then the specifics behind it was like, you can't lead them on, you know, as they're trying to talk to you in, in some form of coercion, trying to get you to send pictures and things like that. You're... The basically what you are supposed to continue to say is like, oh, I'm only 14. I don't know what that means. That kind of thing. That way yeah. you're drawing away from the situations. They're trying to pull you into the situation. That way, if it goes to court, all that evidence goes literally to the FBI and the FBI brings it into court and there's no showing of mm-hmm. you leading them on. If you're leading yeah. them on, your case can be thrown out like that. Yeah, yeah. So I had, oh man, I had one profile that I had up for probably a year and, uh, this guy from Denmark. Uh, it was really disgusting. <sighs> yeah. Um, anyways, I'm on my account, and this dude just, I hadn't even talked to him yet. It's really disgusting. Mm-hmm. Like, he just instantly started sending pictures. Yeah. And we're talking about not just, you know, a click here and a click there and a shot of that. Like he was sending some very disgusting, disturbing, provocative, nasty yeah. pictures. And uh, I finally, I, I was talking to the guy and I had to respond to him. Otherwise he, he'd leave and then we'd lose his IP address. We'd never be able to track him down, figure out who he was. And so I gathered all this information. I started talking to him. He started talking, you know, dirty. And I started telling him, dude, I'm only a 14-year-old girl. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, he would ask me things like, oh, do you like to hold hands? And it would go progressively mm-hmm. more disgusting than that. Yeah. And uh, finally, um, once he had sent those pictures over, man, I had him. Like, instantly, as soon as those pictures come through, you've got him on the hook. Mm-hmm. And I remember, man, I PDF'd everything, and I sent it to my informant. And the informant, they literally were in touch. They had their own people that... So it was like I handed off my information, they handed off their information, and that information went to somebody in the FBI. And mm-hmm. then at that point in time is when they would come back and start investigating, going through all the information. And then on top of that, would they would try to uh, lure him in on their own accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, you could also lose your account. I've had my account swipe for me like that before. Yeah. Um, but from my understanding, the guy, the guy basically disappeared off the face of the earth. And when we tracked his IP address, his IP address was coming from Denmark, I want to say it was. Mm-hmm. And But uh, could that have been rerouted through somewhere else? It can. It very easily can. Um, there's a way through all that yeah. that you can get around, like VPNs and things like that. Uh, I don't know nothing about that. Yeah. Uh, so what, just... what drove, what, what, uh, what pulled you into this specific, this, this specific um, area of, of because so I went from literally protesting and um, uh, being involved with like like I said social justice warriors but for some reason I don't know why I was drawn to dealing with pedophiles you know there was no I never exchanged any nasty porn or anything like yeah. that but it was literally setting up a decoy so that these people that are disgusting and online predators would mm-hmm. do what they do. And then, bam, you would have them. And then you ship that information off. Yeah. And then it was so – I don't know what really caused it. I just know I fell in line with a bunch of uh, guys that they, they handled that kind of thing. Now, the one, the one most important aspect of all that, the guy told me, he's like, you have to be careful who you trust 
and your ring and your, you know, your informants, your hunters, the whole nine yards. He's like, because there are pedophile hunters that will extort the, um, the subject for things like Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So this is when Bitcoin was just starting to come out and become important and yeah. it was actually growing. Um, but at that point in time, it was just the digital currency. It was very small. Nobody really knew much about it. But they would use that to extort the subject and then, yeah, turn around and let them go. You know, this is something kind of a, as you're talking about this, there's a ministry that we are affiliated with called CERT Ministry. I forget, I forget what it stands for. But, but they, Human trafficking. Um, I know because I donated to them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I bought so their shirts. All right. So uh, they do. Human they, trafficking is very important to me. And I think a lot of that comes back from, I was, I'm still part of an organization, um, United Bikers for Unjust Causes and Tragedies. Uh-huh. Um, through all this social justice warrior stuff is where I met my buddy Phil. Uh-huh. Um, he ran a, a 501c3 organization that was based around human trafficking. Yeah. Um, so human trafficking is very important to me. Well, that, that's and they do the same sort of thing where they they they'll talk to them online and um, the whole that. So that is something to look to look in, into. I, I've got a couple questions now. Do you, do no, you, go do, ahead. do you mind? Are you at so? Actually, let so you get to the the, the social war war your, your your stuff. All of this is going on. Um, what what takes place between this and salvation? So as I'm a social justice warrior um, and doing the pedo hunting, um, salvation comes in because um, my wife is, well, let me pause. Let me go back. Not only am I into hunting down pedophiles, I'm also into a bunch of conspiracy theories. Okay. Yeah, I remember um, And this is where it takes a dark turn. So everything from pedo hunting um, which is very disgusting. It's constant bombardment, which is nasty images, um, to uh, being going down conspiracy theories and rabbit holes that mm-hmm. just lead to things, other pedophilic um, subjects, uh, things like Pizzagate, yeah, I um, that. which I investigated that very thoroughly um, as soon as Podesta's emails came out. And I was with, so the guy had been doing pedophile hunting for years. Mm-hmm. It was very thorough, knew exactly what he was talking about, and was able to explain to me before I even realized what the FBI was talking about. What could give me, you know, these are symbols that you'll find within their emails, within, uh, they flash it in front of your face. I mean, just like everybody says with the Illuminati and covering your eye and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I'm not part of the Illuminati. Um, <laughs> and stuff like that. But they do put the sim- symbology right in your face. And it's like sigil magic. It's kind of basically yeah. what it is. Um, but that really started hitting you or hitting me with major depression. Um, there was just so much darkness that I was surrounding myself with. Mm -hmm. And, um, to this day, I still feel like a lot of these conspiracy theories are legit. Pizzagate, I do feel is legit, Mm -hmm. um, because the rich, the elite, they have all this money, they've done everything and why not tap into the taboo? Um, because that's what rich people do. That's what these people that can do whatever they want to do because uh-huh. they have power, they have money, they can get yeah. away with it. That's what they do. I knew about Jeffrey Epstein uh-huh. before Jeffrey Epstein hung himself. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to just put it to you that way. I knew yeah. about Ghislaine Maxwell, Ghislaine, however you pronounce her name. And I knew about, um, well, when Podesta's emails came out, that's when everything was coming out about Hillary Clinton and her organization and that being a front for human trafficking. Um, Laura Silsby in uh, Haiti when the hurricane hit Haiti, mm-hmm. or was it the um, earthquake? 
Anyway, I'm not. I'm, I'm not for sure. Back in 2000, like 2004, uh, I'm 2006. Not, I'm not, like was it a hurricane? I don't. I, I can't remember if it was a hurricane or if it was an earthquake. Okay, I'm not for sure. Um, but the Clinton Foundation went down there, and this lady named Laura Silsby, who now heads up the Amber Alert, um, was caught twice smuggling kids out of Haiti, which is human trafficking. Mm-hmm. And the Clinton Foundation was involved in that. Actually, Bill Clinton. I do believe went down there to flex his political muscle to help her get out of trouble. Yeah. So all this information was coming my way. And a lot of people don't know about this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you read some newspaper articles, you'll come across some of it from time to time, but it's just like most people don't catch it. They don't realize what's going on. Um, but this lady, Laura Silsby was caught up now heads up the Amber alert, uh, network that does you know, issues, the Amber alerts, mm-hmm. um, Anyway, so stuff like that was, that was where, that was the scary part because I realized even though people want to call it a conspiracy theory, which the term was coined after JFK was killed to make you look like you're a nut, Mm -hmm. um, even though they called it a conspiracy theory, I knew better. I knew that no matter what, I've seen enough evidence to know that a lot of this stuff is legit Mm -hmm. and that... In the balance of it all, there's good, there's evil. Well, on one side, actually, one guy asked me one time. I said, dude, I don't believe in the devil, but I believe in our creator. You know, he's like, well, if you don't believe in the devil, then why are you doing this? And I'm like, dude, that's a good point. Like, (laughs) seriously, like these people are all embedded in satanic rituals and things like that. Mm -hmm. Why am I even involved if I don't believe in the devil and Satan and that kind of stuff? yeah. So he made a perfectly good point. And then I came across this video um, this lady had on TikTok. And uh, she asked a fantastic question. She goes, why are most Christians, or why is it that most uh, conspiracy theorists are Christians and right-wing conservatives? And she's like, I'm just sitting there for her to come up with her answer. And she goes, it's because we're trying to see an enemy that most people don't even believe in anymore. Yeah. And I was like, oh. Dude, I was like, you are so absolutely right on that. I was like, man, you hit the nail on the head with that. But it was ultimately going down these paths of conspiracy theories and pedo hunting and being bombarded with disgusting images and things like that that I feel left me in a a very vulnerable state Mm -hmm. that led to massive depression. So my wife had been trying to get me into church for a long time. Um, kicking and screaming if it had to be, you know, she was going to drag me by my ear and get in here. Um, but, uh, the one time that I needed to have a prayer answered, it was answered and it was like that. And it was really interesting because we lived in this horrible house, um, over in high Ridge, and I hadn't, I hadn't been saved yet, but by the time I got saved and the time that I had asked God for a new house that I could be proud of, that I could take my family to, that we could call our own home and not be crammed and just have this thing falling, you know, a, a decrepit house falling apart around you, literally, yeah. because I had no credit score. I had no no means of funds or anything. I yeah. just was, like, stuck. Yeah, and yeah, I hated yeah. that. Um, it really made me feel very unsuccessful, very, mm-hmm. uh, very bad about myself, my yeah. own, my own personal well-being, my children's well-being. Um, but it, I remember being up at the altar and, uh, we were just, I think we were just praising God. That was it. And then that's when I turned to like, God, please, 
man, I, I, I gotta get a house. My family deserves it. We deserve it, you know? Um, and I remember I had worked on my credit score a little bit just before that. And I was like, I'm just going to take a shot in the dark. So I see, I submitted my credit score to rocket mortgage and they denied me. But what was crazy was out of nowhere, this lady and shout out to Mona Pritchett. You're amazing. <laughs> um, hits me up, right? She's a realtor. Mm -hmm. And she's like, has rocket mortgage gotten back to you? Um, with, you know, with their whole spiel with, you know, if you've been approved or not, I was like, I honestly have not heard from anybody. I was like, you're the first person I've heard from. And she's like, okay. She's like, well, if that falls through, I've got my own people. Give me a call and we'll figure something out. I was like, okay, it's interesting. You know, I've never had that happen to me before. Yeah, yeah. And so I turn around and get my email from uh, rocket mortgage and denied. I was like, okay. So I called her back and she's like, well, I'm gonna put you in touch with my guy. So she put me in touch with, uh, what is that dude's name? I want to say it was Dan. Corey, Corey is his name. Um, I believe it was USA mortgage, <laughs> man. I think we're going to get sued on this episode, <laughs> but anyway, got in touch with him and, uh, we started the pre-approval process and a couple days later, I get the email back and he's like, uh, well, you've been pre-approved for this amount. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, no, you're pre-approved for, you know, up to blah, blah, blah. And yeah. so he's like, so I'm going to send a letter over to Mona and you guys can start looking at houses. I'm like, what? Yeah. What? No way. Yeah. And you know, I was right. I was running my, to tell my wife and I was just like so excited. But then dude, literally within um, a couple months after that, I think it was October that we started looking for houses by February. We we're, Closed and boom, had our own house. Right on. That's and that awesome. was all that I had prayed for from God. I mean, I had focused and prayed, like, come on, God, come on. Yeah. And just like that, bam, step after step after step fell in place. And like, I was like, dude, this is awesome. So it was his goodness that led to repentance. It really was. Um, and then I turned around and I, I believe I got saved uh, like directly after that. Um, it wasn't the following year. It was I got saved after I got good news that I had been pre-approved. So that's when I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's that's what ultimately led me to salvation. Now, I still go through stents of depression. Oh, I absolutely. still have days where everything's not the greatest. And, mm. you know, but ultimately I just, I turn to him and literally, boom, you know, you start to praise the man and things happen. I wouldn't even say things happen. It just it, it instantly changes that inner psyche, that okay, inner feeling yeah, about, about yourself. And you start to understand. Or you just start to kind of change and blossom. Mm -hmm. And you just start. Pastor said it great today. Like, you know, you plant that seed. You can walk away from that seed. But the enemy is right there behind it to come in and, yeah, you know, exactly. snatch it up. But, uh, no. Um, and that's the sad thing, honestly, is the inspiration for this podcast is the fact that people have gone through that and I've watched it happen, mm -hmm. you know, um, we went on that missions trip and then, um, somebody got saved and we set them free and boom, they yeah. just went cold. And I feel like it was our fault. You know, we set them free in this crazy world without, like pastor said, coming back to check on them and coming mm -hmm. back to, to continually guide them yeah. until they're at that point where they can battle and do the spiritual battle on their own. Mm -hmm. And instead, 
and kind of left him fall on his face. I felt the same way when I first got saved. When I first got saved, you know, I was like, woo, I'm saved. It's great. This is awesome. Uh But then you do hit moments of spiritual battle. Absolutely. You do hit. And if you're not prepared, man, I don't know how many times I have fallen flat on my face in the middle of a spiritual warfare. Like just, I mean, bam. Yeah. But I'm much stronger now in my faith. Um, This is why this podcast was so important to me because Mm -hmm. I feel like there's people out there that go through that same exact experience. And in order to lead them home, Mm -hmm. we got to have some kind of way of getting a hold of them. So bam. So get out there and listen to it. Don't (laughs) just, don't just pass it by. Don't scroll. So there's, there's a cut. One, one thing, uh, that I, that I, that I want to, I want to ask real, real quick. So it's, um, so just bear, I know, bear, bear, bear with me for just a second. So, um, you're young, your father, your biological father isn't in the, in the picture. The next man is in the picture for, uh, for quite a while, but then just kicks you to the curb and it's like, you don't exist anymore. Then you have the next man who has been a good man. He's been a friend. And the reason that, that you probably came through this stuff, um, rather well is because of that positive influence, right? I would say that's a fair way to put it. Yeah. Okay. So then from there, um, you get into some trouble, trouble in high school. And then from there, you start with social warrior protest. That wasn't, no, it was actually after Michael Brown. Yeah. So that's where I became social justice warrior was that's out of high school. Mm-hmm. That's after I become an adult and I'm working for, uh, um, I want to say it was right after me and Vanessa got married. Okay. All right. So that's when Michael, Michael Brown, you'll have to look at the date to exactly it know was, when. Um, I had just gotten out of prison. So it was 2014, <coughs> probably 2014, 2015 is when Michael Brown happened. Okay. So yeah, okay. me and my wife were together. Cause I was just out of, out of, out of prison. Not long after that, not right before that happened. Not long after I was out of prison. So, okay. So then the social warrior, then this is what I want you to see. You're talking about depression happened. Right. The pathway to depression started a long time ago. Cause you had, you had referred to how looking at all those negative images, it seemed like took you into this to me. And I, I just tell me if this seems correct. You have the social warrior protest is gives you a purpose, which depression is linked to not having a purpose, right? right? Okay. So you don't have a purpose. So then you find one in the social war, war warrior stuff. Then from there, you see a rise in the, in like this, this rise from first the social warrior stuff then to the pedo, uh, to the um, hunting the pedophiles, and then conspiracy theories, and you you see this 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 trajectory, right? Like a pattern, exactly. Right. So the trajectory is ha- so. De- a lot of times with depression, we exist at this baseline that's really really low, right? And so we're going through life and high risk behaviors are the same sort of thing, but we need a purpose or we need something to get involved in to feel alive, right? right. To increase arousal, right? Yeah. So as you're looking at the social warrior thing made you feel alive, but after a while, that's just not, I need something a little bit, then you got the pedophile hunting, right? right? And then you got more and you see this 
this gradual increase because of the void that you're trying to fill. That then that void is maximized because you know how you said you didn't have the house that you that you was you were trying to do the house your right. family you didn't feel worth all this value so you have this path this pathway of from a child of disregarded by one means I have no value I thought I had value of the second one then dis disregarded uh, again right. so you have this this depressive baseline starts at childhood and then it just keeps going up and up and up the weed the dream are all coping mechanisms to to suppress what started because you said he he was there for like the first five years is when you're by so that years one through four are hugely imprinted right so you have this this imprinted of the lack of father from them then into high school um, you begin to suppress them with the drugs and the drinking, partying. That's that the aggressive behavior they like to fight that you were talking about. That yeah, was as a, actually that was as a kid. So, um, that was, I don't even know. So I, <laughs> a lot of times it was just more of an argument. But, yeah, so he was with my mom for about 10 years. Okay. And But, yes, I, I agree with where you're going with with all the coping mechanisms. It's and all pattern. rising. Right. It's all rising. But it didn't stop until God came into the picture, right? Right. Right. So all of the void. Right. So depression happens. We don't feel alive. Right. And a lot of times we don't feel alive because of the trauma that we've had in life. Right. So all of this stuff happens. We don't feel alive. So then we start doing things just to feel like this life is worth living. Like why live? Like let's I'd, I'd rather be drunk. I'll be real honest. I'd rather be drunk, be high than have a life without purpose. Right. Because why there's no. There's no use to living with no purpose, right? right? So you're trying to find your 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 purpose in all of these different things, but the void is never filled until God comes into the, the, the picture. The void, I guess, I, I guess we can we can ask this: the void that you were trying to fill through all of this stuff. What is it about God that filled it? Is it the lack of the father from the childhood that? Um, did he feel, was it that, that, that finally gave a, um, gave a balance to, to, to you? I would say yes to in an extent, but I would also say that it, it made me understand myself a little bit more mm-hmm. and it made me realize that I, I wasn't that pathetic, if that makes, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh. More inner workings, so it, it was definitely not just an instant, instantaneous change. Yeah, um, I've noticed it over several months to a year of God making moves in my inside me and in, in my life that yeah, it made yeah, me yeah. feel progressively stronger, progressively more successful, um, and more reliant on Him. And in fact, my faith has also grown out of that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, inside the changes that have been made took you know several months especially any big changes where i would find myself just constantly beating myself up and that's one of the biggest things is at work beating myself up Mm -hmm. Um, i'm not nearly as bad at that anymore um Mm -hmm. but it is one of those things that i'm like oh the customer's gonna come in here and they're gonna hate it they're not gonna like it they're just gonna say this is the worst thing i've ever seen Uh and not realizing that sometimes you have to step back and say man i did the best that i could this is the best i can get it i'm sorry there's nothing else I could really do for you. And I started realizing that, that there was, instead of beating myself up, there was an understanding that, hey, you 
given everything you've got. The father that was in the military, was he, is, it, it was, is he more critical of your words with his words? Like, super. Okay. Super. Was anything you did ever good enough? Uh, yeah, for the most part, yeah. Okay. I mean, he told me he was proud of me, that kind of okay. thing. Like, but yes, he is a super critical person. Okay, so like, do you feel like things had to be exact in order to win his approval? Um, it's kind of hard to say because at that age, I don't think I was really, I don't think I was really looking for approval at that point because I had already accepted. I had been accepted. There was really not much of that kind of an issue between me and him yeah, that yeah. I that I can think of. Let's uh, more let, may, maybe not. Let me just cut to the chase. <laughs> the reason that I'm asking, if there's a sense of self-critical, right, of oh, the customer's not going to do this, the customer, or right. I'm sorry, he's not, they're, they're not going to, I wonder, and when you say that, that the reason I asked him specifically, because those are very import, important years, right, if like when you're cleaning your room or, or something, or if you had to do this and he came in, was it good enough, right, and, and the things that he's critical over, sometimes that can instill in us a deep feeling of not nothing. It's not good, good enough. Oh, they're not going to like it. They're not going to like it. They're not going to go. Right. And so it's because, and so that's, that's what I was just, that's why I asked if. No, I don't think so. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't think there was really much of uh, an approval issue or having to seek out his, his affection or his approval. Um, I just feel like sometimes he was just a butthead. <laughs> Literally. Okay, right. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm no, just, yeah. you know, everybody's got their moments. I know I can be a butthead yeah. and, you know, but, um, I just wonder if that, cause when I asked you, is he critical? It was very instant. Oh yes, of course. Right. He's super, he was okay. super. <laughs> so I'm wondering because of that criticalness during those years, what effect it has on. So in that. those instances, it was more of. Mm, so being critical, he was, he would pick and choose Okay. who he did that to. Uh -huh. And it was like certain things would set him off and then he would be critical of that component. Gotcha. And then that child would be the one that would be dealing with the issue. Um, too much. I don't really feel like he did that to me okay. very much. All right. Um, there were probably moments that I don't remember. How about your mom? Uh, so... My mom was never like that. My mom was okay. super, super laid back, and for the most part, um, yeah. she definitely had moments which all oh, parents do. They get a little nah, frustrated, absolutely. you know. But yeah, yeah. other than that, like my mom's always been a fantastic mom. Okay. You know, I yeah. think every kid feels that no, way about their yeah. mom. Like yeah. mom is number one. That's just the way. <laughs> no, it is. not mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, okay, because I, I was just, I, I was just curious about that part. But the pathway from childhood up, and then the finding purpose in the different issues all links to coping mechanisms for the depression. Right. And so then whenever the it's, I mean, it's, it would be the normal path to then that person, your, your type of your story, you as a person, then saturating themselves with the negative images and the negative environment could absolutely even maximize the de the depression. Right. You know, absolutely. But I love how, I don't know you, I didn't know you beforehand, but w the hole that Jesus has filled. That's oh, yeah. The, that's the, that's yeah. where, I don't, even from when I, when you first came here to now, it feels like you're more full. Right. Does, does, it, does that make absolutely. sense? It does, it well, I'm going to tell you right now because, and I don't mean to cut you off, no, but it is. So 
oh, man, where was I going with this? Um, even I've noticed that at the beginning, um, and this is where I've said I've grown in, I've grown in my in my faith. Um, when we had the class with mm-hmm. uh, it was David, he did the growing your faith oh, class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From that point, even forward, at that point, I still was you know I was like yeah Jesus, but mm-hmm. did I I didn't really have the faith like i was just kind of like eh, all yeah. right i'm gonna step out here just a little bit <laughs> yeah, and yeah. see what the waters are like but um till now it's like i give glory to god and i praise him and it's like you know he has just worked miracles on me i feel so much better about who i am and yes like like you said i'm much fuller yeah. and i enjoy things a lot more um i can still be a little bit of a nag I guess, but um, no matter what, it, it just, I, I felt myself grow. And I think that's most important because that allows you to continue to grow instead of questioning your faith. Mm. You continue to grow in faith by knowing that you've step yeah, you by step exactly, by step have blossomed. Exactly. So that's a, one yeah. more, one more question. And then, and then, and then uh, we can run. You're probably already we'll, in trouble. Yeah, I know. I'm <laughs> so here's the question in one minute or less. Can you sum up? the person you were before Jesus to the person you are now? Oh, absolutely. Um, so, but as back before I got saved, um, completely depression states would hit me like that, just out of nowhere. Um, and very quickly and very often, um, at this point now, I'm no longer, if I hit a spot that's depression, it's caused by something. It's not just automatically came out of nowhere or you can't figure out why you're just Mm -hmm. depressed. Um, I still get my depression episodes, but not nearly as much. Mm-hmm. And that that has made the biggest impact in my life. It's it's allowed me to it's, man, it's lifted some weight off of me. So as a person that I, as the person that I am now, I'm definitely walking in faith more than I ever have before. Mm-hmm. And at this point in time, I can honestly say that I have faith in my God, and I have faith that mm-hmm. no matter what, Jesus is right there beside me. Absolutely. He's going to take care of business. So. Absolutely, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. So that's that's probably the most important thing to get out of all of this. I know I've kind of jumped here, jumped there, rambled no, here, it was rambled good. there. It was good. But the most important fact is, I want you guys to understand that He's got your back, man. Yes. Just put your put your faith in Him. Take it to the you know, take it to the foot of the cross and put it all out there and let him handle it. And you'll be, you'll be surprised at what you're going to get. <laughs> so absolutely. Anything else? Are That's we ready to wrap it. this up guys? Oh I man, we're like right. big time late. Oh, and I'm getting meeting. Alex in trouble over here. It's all right. So uh, other than <laughs> that guys, man, thanks for listening again. Thank you for listening to episode one. Um, hopefully this one knocks your socks off too. Um, other than that guys, when are we dropping our next episode? Are we start, we're going to go to start doing one a week now. Yep. No. Oh, maybe <laughs> we're going <laughs> to start. Like, we're going to we're going to start to Wednesdays first. Um, so Sundays to Wednesdays. Yes, okay. we are going to start once a week very very soon. Okay. Uh, so from here on out, we're going to start recording an episode. It's still going to be every two weeks. We're going to record our episode on Sunday, drop it on Wednesdays. It just gives us a little bit more time to deal with it. Um, guys, check us out. Spotify, 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 Spotify. Um, also, iHeartRadio app, Pandora. You can find us on Stitcher as well. YouTube, um, subscribe, like. That's how we go up in all the lists. So like us, like us, like us. And we're also on TikTok, in case you guys haven't seen the little reels going around, especially the one I talk about my head looking like a watermelon. Uh, <laughs> other than that, guys, stay fresh. We love you. And peace out, guys. Have a good one.